Yeah, good morning, everyone. You notice that I'm up here this week and not Greg. It's because I didn't finish last week. I don't, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy when it comes to just the, the pattern, uh, the steps, and how to study the Bible. Just general things, but they are very helpful as uh, we go forward and as you go forward in your Christian life. Now, if you do uh, do the homework, you're going to find out you learn a lot. You know, and uh, you really do learn a lot. And uh, it, don't expect to grasp every single thing right away, uh, because you know the more you the more you study, the more you hear, the more you read, the more you understand. All right, so that becomes very uh, important for laying a foundation for the our Christian growth the rest of our lives. Right, and I, like I like I mentioned the first week. Uh, when I first became a Christian, um, I got into something like this, not this detailed, uh, right away. And uh, because I was on an aircraft carrier, I had nowhere to go. <laughs> and so we studied the Bible. But it was so beneficial. Uh, because I, those days, I still feel like uh, that was a foundation that really stabilized me, you know. Got introduced to a lot of uh, doctrine, a lot of different Christian views of things, um, you know. And those kind of things were very helpful. And so as you grow, you're going to learn more. Uh, you're going to learn more about yourself, about your sin, about what Christ has done. And, um, and you just keep going forward. And you can live a very, and I believe the Christian life is a kind of a, a very simple life. Um, but it's a very fulfilling life and a joyful life because the Lord's done all the, everything that we need to, to, to establish us in our, our relationship with him who created the God who created the heaven and the earth uh, through, through Jesus Christ and, um, and then he establishes us and makes us firm in the faith so whatever comes down the pike and there's a lot of stuff going on coming down, coming down the pike right as far as teaching we can pretty much quickly if we're in the word of God know what's true and what's not and be able to jettison or stay away from the things that are not true because Satan is getting more slick and how he uh, gets information to people. And uh, he does a good job at deceiving people when they think they're getting the truth and they're not. So, all right. Uh, it is, we're still on lesson two. And um, we're going to finish that up today. Next week, we're going to pick up lesson three. So today, we're going to finish on how to know the Bible, some of the basic principles. But before we do that, I'm going to word a prayer. And then I want you to go back to your book because I want you to answer some questions for me. Verse 16, uh, page 16 and 17, and just uh, tell me what you recorded in those pages. All right, let's pray. Lord, this morning we do thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for the, the spring rain that brings the flowers. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for this time of year. And, uh, and Lord, mostly we thank you for the word of God that we're able to study and have in our hands uh, what a privilege that is uh, thank you lord for um, just saving us and forgiving us of our sin and teaching us from the word of god all that you have done who we are who our enemy is and what what you require for us to do and lord i pray that we'd always do that with um, willful obedience and with love for you so bless our time now as we go through the word of god and as we get a sense of how to study it, I pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, so let's, go, let, let's look at your book, uh, verse, no, page.
page, number 16, and where it says, uh, why I know the Bible. What are the answers that you gave there? All right, 2 Timothy 2.15, what did you say for that? Why I know the Bible. All right, handle the truth, be approved by God, right? All right, what about 1 Peter 2.2? What did you get for that one? All right, grow in salvation, right? The Word of God's given us, if you, it, the Word of God is our spiritual food. If we don't eat it, we don't grow, right? Just like you don't eat food, you're not going to grow, and you're going to probably get sick, and, and that's, you know, bad things happen. All right, and then Psalm 119.11, what else will the Word of God do for us? What? Psalm 119.11, that you may not what? Sin against God, right? Sin against God. So the Word of God will help us to see our sin so we can repent of it, confess it, and put it to death, and so we don't have to uh, worry about those things anymore, but we, we've learned how to deal with them properly. And then Psalm 119.38, what else does the Word of God do? All right, it produces reverence for God. All right, It's going to teach us who God is. And uh, we are saved to worship God. And to worship properly, you have to know who he is, right? And really, when you become a Christian, you don't know who God is. You think you do, but you don't. The Word of God adjusts all those things, helps us, helps us to uh, understand him with the revelation we have to be able to worship him. And then Psalm, Psalm 119, 105, uh, what else does it do? All right, it lights our path, right? right? It illuminates where we're going. It, it, it helps, helps us to put one foot in front of the other. Breathe in, breathe in and out and do the next thing, the right thing, right? That's what the Word of God helps us to do. All right, and then over to um, D, memorize it. That's where I kind of ended last week. Uh, Deuteronomy 11.8, what did you get for your answer there? Deuteronomy 11.8. All right, you keep, the, you keep the Word in your heart and in your mind, right? So it, it's really what, what you're learning, you're thinking about, right? That's meditation, or, you know, that's thinking, and that's really important for a believer. In other words, you don't fill up your little thimble, and then by the time you get to the parking lot, you spill it, everything you learned, and then you don't know what to do. No, you keep it. You think about it. You know, while you're driving, like it says in Deuteronomy, you know, the father is to be teaching your kids, not in a formal Bible study, but while, while they're walking by the way, while, while they're going in and out of the house, while they're working during the day, you're talking about the Lord. You're, you're re referencing things about the Lord. And that's how you not only learn the theology of it, but you learn the practice of it. This is how we're supposed to live, right? And they, did, they were doing normal things. They were farming, right? They were gathering things. They were making food. They were doing all those things. The regular life, uh, that's what a Christian life is. And you just... Do it in a way that honors God. All right, Deuteronomy 11, 19. What is the father supposed to do? All right, teach the children, right? All day to teach the children. All right, and then let me see if there's another thing there. Um, let's see what page that is. Letter E on meditate. That's number three down there. It says, do you think God's word can affect your speech and actions? And, of course, that was from Luke 6, 45. Do you think, now, of course, there could be a variety of answers to that, but what, what would your answer be? 
The answer would be yes. In what ways? All right. And the heart meaning what? All right, the mind, the emotions, the will, all right? So, so the word of God's going to affect everything. It's going to affect your volition, what you actually do. But it doesn't start there. It starts with you changing your thinking, right? And then changing your desires to want to live for God and not live for your old life or the old uh, fleshly things that you did. All right, that's what the word of God is. So that means the word of God is, is the most powerful book that you and I can ever have contact with on this side of eternity, and it will do all the things that it says it will do because God is the one who's given it, right? He's the source of it. All right, saying all that, uh, let's uh, now go to where we kind of left off last week. Um, I did talk about, let me just go through these real quick, uh, that seven compelling things about knowing the Word of God is to keep me from sin, it's to build me up, it's to live and not be ashamed, it's to know the truth, it's to know where I'm going, it's to have understanding, it is to know uh, knowing the right right from wrong, all right? And then secondly, uh, we looked at, the, of course, this passage of scripture always comes up because it's, it's all scripture is able to teach, reproof, give reproof, correction, training, and righteousness so we can be adequate for every single thing God uh, would have us do on this earth. Uh, that's that's for all of us, and then of course, how to know the Bible. Of course, we we saw last time to hear it, to read it, and study it, and then we want to uh, read the Bible so we can prevent truth decay, uh, not tooth decay, of course. That, and then of course, here are some of the things that we ask when we are studying it, and we'll look at those again, uh, and then. A definite, we have a definite plan for study, that is to study words. Uh, and an example of that was uh, if you study on the heart, you'll notice that in all these passages of scripture that mentions the heart, it doesn't mean that every one of these passages are related to each other or that the definition of the heart means the same thing. That's what you have to study. So sometimes word studies can be a dangerous thing, especially if you're connecting the definition of the word heart for every passage that you're reading and not looking at the context and how it informs that definition, all right? So that's what we kind of, I mentioned last week. And then um, a definite plan that will include not only words, but doctrines. We have been studying doctrines along the way. Uh, in preaching, many times I tried to give you some doctrine too, not just uh, other things, because we, we have to learn doctrine. We have to learn where, where it all fits, systematic theology. Uh, and then, of course, we are studying chapters and books, we, going through books of the Bible, verse by verse, verse by verse, all, you know, all the way through, when, you know, whatever book we're in. That's where from the, the uh, verse 1 to the last verse of the book. That's what we're going to do. That's how you learn, because we want to learn the Word of God in its totality. All right, and then um, in... Memorize it, uh, meditate on it, and that's where I kind of left off last week. All right, so today um, we are going to start the Bible study process. And, of course, we want to start with this big word, hermeneutics, right? And the definition of, the, I'll give you the definition of hermeneutics, uh, and it's, it's pretty much this. It's really 
it's the formal um, rules and of studying the Bible, um, which goes by the name hermeneutics. And the objective of hermeneutics is to allow the text to speak rather than reading into the text something that you think or you feel. Uh, so hermeneutics considers the historical, grammatical, and cultural nature and context of the passage being studied in order to understand what the original writers meant to say to the audience they were writing to, right? That's really uh, the job that we have when we are studying the Word of God, and especially that of teaching the Word of God. It really doesn't matter what I think. Uh, it matters what the Word of God says, and that to communicate that to people so the Spirit of God can actually use it to, in our life to make us people that are going to be people who are going to uh, grow in the knowledge and wisdom of the Word of God. All right, now that brings us to the process, and there's five steps, uh, and the five steps are going to be affirmation. I'm, I'm going to come back and look at those briefly, look at a scripture that may uh, back that up. Secondly is preparation. Thirdly is going to be observation. Fourthly is going to be interpretation. And then fifthly is going to be application. And in the book, uh, there was also, um, I added one, and um, in the book there was also a fifth one, which would be a sixth one for me, and that is the sixth one would be repeat the process. All right? And be, that's what happens. This is what you do every time you're studying the Word of God. These, these things, whether you're, you know, saying, okay, I'm doing affirmation now. Now, that's not, that's not how it usually happens once you get into the routine of things. But you do know when you are observing what's going on in the text, right? And then once you do that, you're looking at an interpretation of it and then an application of it. Now, in the book, they did um, give the first example is in Matthew, but Matthew 6.33. We're going to look at that in a second. But let's go back now and look at observation, right? So when we, when we look at affirmation, affirmation is going to be, what is that actually affirmation? Is that you have to come to the Word of God and believe that the Word of God is inerrant and is infallible, that this is not the Word of men. This is the Word that comes from God. Yes, written by holy men that were moved upon by the Holy Spirit to write so we can have the Word of God. Uh, we have to believe that the Word of God uh, is, can be depended on in its totality. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, it said, when it was talking about faith, it says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. And then it says this, for he who comes to God must believe that he is what? He is, right? He is who he says he is, and then that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? So that is kind of a, a promise to us, too, that, listen, God wants us to seek him and, and actually gives us the desire to seek him, and we have to affirm when we come to the word of God that this is the Bible, right? This is God's word. And so that means the Bible is, is definitely a different book than any other book I'm going to read. It's not just any old book, right? So I come to it with reverence, too, right? Reverence and 
Uh, it's not like the Bible is, is some kind of special thing where you have to put it in a special place, even though when I was over uh, in Jordan, one of the things that was important to the Palestinians, or the Muslims, is that when you walk into their house, the first thing you see is the Quran and it's open, right? And so they did have respect for the holy books, including the Bible. And so if you put your Bible, like, on the floor or you marked your Bible, they, they would think that would, would, would be irreverent. And um, so, but marking your Bible is not irreverent. <laughs> to them it is, but, and if you're in their culture, you may have to respect that because you don't want to offend them if you want to give them the gospel, right? It's like, you know, so in, in, in any case, the Bible, though, is very special. And I treat it as a special book because um, it is. And um, because it's, it's what the Lord's given me to study it. And then the next thing that would happen is uh, in, in the, well, let me go, just go back. It, the preparation phase, before we get to the observation, is, is confessing our sin, right? We're coming to the word of God, asking the, word, the Lord to open it to us, to illuminate our mind, and we're examining ourselves, confessing our sin. So we come to the Lord with a heart that is, uh, as it says in James 1.21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receiving to receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. All right, so... We confess so we can receive the word of God, right? And that also means, too, you want to be alert. You want to be ready. I mean, the worst thing to do is to study anything and, uh, ha you know, be half, like, asleep. You're not going to learn anything. And, and also, I think part of it is knowing who you are. Some people are morning people. Some people are evening people. Some people are early evening or morning people, you know, where it seems like they come alive at 2 in the morning, you know, grits, Greg. Oh, he, he texts me at 2 in the morning because, you know, all the kids are asleep and that's his time to do things. So, uh, but I'm a morning person. I, I, I gather things and remember things in the morning. After 10 o'clock at night, I don't remember anything, you know. And my wife always answers, asks me questions about 10 o'clock at night. And I, <laughs> I says, you know, I can't answer that, you know. And they're right. So anyway, you got to figure out who you are and then, Use that to your advantage, because when you do, you can be alert when you're studying the Word of God, when you're praying so you don't fall asleep, right? Uh, and that you are ready to receive the implanted Word. So that means that the question is, how are we to approach God's Word? We're to approach God's Word in purity and humility. The Holy Spirit is the divine illuminator when we come to the Word of God. And so that's the difference between somebody who's a non-believer and says they re read the Word of God, and someone who now is a believer and reads the Word of God. And I don't care how smart an unbeliever is, they don't have the Spirit of God to illuminate the Word of God to them. So they're not going to understand it. And they may understand looking at it and reading it like a regular book, but they'll never come to the same conclusions. I mean, I read Catholic theologians all the time because they're really good at, at doing language study, but they, their conclusions are always like off the wall. You know, and uh, it's it, they never conclude like the Bible says. Uh, and so, so you know, you can learn from people, but you got to be very careful when you're reading things, even when you're reading Christian books. Just because somebody claims themselves to be a Christian, don't mean what 
they're writing, actually they know the Word of God enough to be able to write on something and be uh, accurate according to the Word of God. So you always got to read things that quote-unquote are Christian with uh, some, you know, discernment, right? So you don't get duped by somebody who's... Because there's a lot of people who are claiming they're Christians, and when you even walk into Christian bookstores, I don't even know, are, are there Christian bookstores anymore? Uh, but I guess there are, but usually the people that are, as soon as you walk in the door on the front shelves, are not people you want to be reading, you know? You want to be reading T.D. Jakes. You know, you don't want to be reading people like that who have, we know, have aberrant uh, theology that is wrong, you know? Uh, so you want to be careful about those things, and if somebody hands you a book, you want to be discern, uh, discerning enough to know, uh, to be able to, if you look at the book and read part of the book to discern where the good parts and the bad parts are. Keep the good stuff, throw away the garbage, right? That's how you read a book. All right, so that brings us to observation. All right, so we're looking at a text, and we're going to look at, you might as well turn there now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We're just looking at this one verse. Now, that was the, ver that was the verse in your book. But, of course, observation is going to be some of the basic facts about the text, right? Some of the basic facts about the text to identify, in other words, um, the type of literature that you're reading. Okay, if we're reading Matthew uh, chapter 6, if we're reading Matthew, what type of literature is Matthew? If you go back to your lesson one, you should find that out. What type of literature is Matthew? All right, it's a narrative, but it's a gospel, right? It's a gospel narrative. All right, so that means, it's, and it's usually about what person? It's about Jesus, right? Now, the main, the main theme of each gospel is different. The main theme of Matthew is what? J Jesus is what? No, that's Mark. All right? Jesus is king. All right, Jesus is king. So that means if that's the theme of Matthew, when you're reading through Matthew, that theme is going to permeate all the things that he's writing about in Matthew. And uh, when you're reading Mark, you're going to find that if Mark is, the main theme is Christ as a servant, then everything in Mark is going to uh, be colored by that theme. And so those are the things that should be in our mind when we're reading of, of literature like a gospel. All right, so, so another thing is that you, alert, you observe the larger context in which the text is given. Now, if you notice, Matthew 6.33 is only one passage, right? So when you come to asking questions about that particular passage, you're not going to get all the answers in one verse, right? So that means I have to read the verses that come before and the verses that come after to be able to even understand that passage, all right? And so when we do that, then we can get a good handle on what it actually says so we can now apply it to our life. Now, another thing in there is that we ask the questions. Who, what, when, where, why? These are important questions. We ask basic questions about what's going on in this particular passage of Scripture. Now, that would lead us to the next step, which would be the fourth step, and that would be interpretation, right? 
Now, you can't have interpretation until you do all the other things, right? That, that's, so interpretation is really something where you're going to identify. Now, this doesn't always come quickly, believe me, it doesn't. Um, you identify the theme of the whole book, and we already gave you the theme of the whole book, and that's Jesus Christ is King, right, of Matthew. But there may be themes within that particular section of Scripture in Matthew, because Matthew is a large gospel. It's a very complex gospel, and it has a lot of stuff in the that it, a lot of topics it deals with in uh, Matthew. For example, it deals with the temptation uh, before Jesus' ministry. It also gives us the Sermon on the Mount, which is an incredible sermon by Jesus. Uh, it gives us uh, the twelve going out to reach to preach the gospel, and the Lord gives them what they need to go out to do that, and the things that happen when they do. It gives us the woe, the stumbling blocks of church discipline and an unforgiving spirit. It tells us about the woes of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, these were the teachers of Israel. And so all these things, the Olivet Discourse is given in there, Matthew 24 and 25, about the end times. So there's a lot of stuff in Matthew, all right? And so you, you can't, you have to, when you're reading through the whole book and you're dealing with all those things, or if you're studying through or preaching through or teaching through a whole book, there's a lot of stuff to know, all right? So we, we, I come to a passage, and I think to myself, I don't know anything that's going on here. So I go through the process, and then I start to see, okay, now I see what's happening, you know? And so what happens is that it actually you get pulled into the original author's intention. See, and then you know what? You kind of become a friend of Matthew. Wow, I'm getting to know Matthew, you know? Or I'm getting to know Mark. Or I'm getting to know Paul in Colossians, you know? You really get a sense of, I, I'm seeing what Paul is preaching to the people. That's where you want to be, all right? Because that's going to give us now the right type of interpretation, and then it's going to give us the right uh, parameters of application in, for our own life. So identify the theme. Also, you may want to make a summary statement of what the text says about the theme. In other words, what's going on in the text? You write it down in your own words. Um, and you get a sense of what's going on there. You know, the flow of the logic of the text is what is being meant. There. And, of course, if you do that, then you can make an outline of the text. Some people who are good at uh, English um, or any language can diagram the sentence or the sentences in that paragraph uh, if you're good at it. Uh, that is something that has very, been very helpful to me. Uh, I think that I, I see, I like seeing, it's like if you, if you build something, you have it in your mind, I'm going to build, let's say I'm going to build a desk, or I'm going to renovate a room or a bathroom, right? Well, in your mind, you have a good idea what you want to do, right? And then you begin to maybe draw sketches, and then you begin to say, okay, I have to order this, and I have to order this, and then in your mind, you know how it's going to look, but it's, it's, now it's a mess. It's a wreck, right? You have to demolish everything. But then when it's done, you step back and say, all right, I saw it in my mind as a sketch, but now I see it in reality. In the, in the very real way, that's, that's what's going on in a text. In, in a very real way, it's like there's a lot of words, there's a lot of things to think about, but then once you start getting pulled into it, 
then you start seeing the picture of what's being written, and then you begin to see it all come together, right? And then you see the importance of it in your own life as you uh, now can make an outline of it, all right? And then the next thing could be um, you identify how the meaning of the text connects to the larger context. Now, of course, this is going beyond what we're going to do this morning, but the last thing you want to do um, in anything that you do is you want to test your interpretation when you get to that, right? And how do you do that? Well, you're asking questions. Some of the questions could be, would have made sense to the original audience of what I'm concluding here, right? Is this what they would have gotten? Another question could be, is it consistent with other passages of Scripture in other places in the Bible, right? Does it line up? Or am I, like, way out there? And, like, you know, I need to get, re get reeled in because I'm, like, you know, I'm a heretic. <laughs> I, need to, I need to get reeled in. So you have to ask those questions and then... Uh, how have other Christians interpreted the text? Now, that does bring me to some books that you can use. I mentioned last week, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance is a book that you should have. It, it has every single word. Now, mine right here is about for the NASB Bible, because one is for the King James, one is for the, there's one for the NIV, there's one for, there's one that's uh, Young's Exhaustive Concordance. Young is for the young, Strong's is for the strong. All right, and uh, but no, every word in the Bible is in here. So um, now, of course, like now, you can just put your go in your phone and put the word in, and it comes up, right? But I think that's that's cheating. That's cheating. You wanna you wanna get used to books, right? There's something about books. The way they smell, the way they feel. There's something about books. So Strong's is often exhaustive concordance is something you should have. Also, I mentioned last week, Haley's Bible Handbook. It just has, it's a handbook on subjects in the Bible. You look it up, and they've done some research on it. And one thing I like about it, it's, it's very concise. It's not, I don't have to read through six pages to find out what I want to know. All right? Sometimes you don't have time to do that, right? And so that's a good one to have. This one, Wycliffe Bible Commentary, it's, um, it's a really good Bible commentary. I've been using this for years. And it really, it's another way, it's very concise. This is the Bible commentary of the whole Bible. It doesn't give you a whole lot, but what it does give you is good nuggets, right? It gives you a, a good sense uh, of what you may be looking for in, as far as a passage of Scripture is concerned. So that's a good one. And, of course, um, the MacArthur uh, New Testament commentary uh, is another good one to have, um, very reliable um, has done his homework as far as exegesis and exposition. So very reliable. So, But you don't want to look at these first. You want to look at these later, right? You want to get a sense first on what you see in the text. That's, that's how you study. And then, okay, once you study the passage, oh, let me see what old Johnny Mac says, you know? Oh, I didn't get that. <laughs> you know, that, that's what you can learn. And then, of course, Unger's Bible Dictionary, a dictionary, a Bible dictionary will give you uh, a lot of good information about all kinds of topics, uh, and they will go into detail about them. Even give some history on where this came from, what language it came from, what culture it came from. Really good 
book, and this, this is done by Moody Press. So these are some of the books that I, I early, had early on, still use them, and uh, are going to be very beneficial for uh, testing your information to see, okay, what, what do other people say about what I just studied? Hopefully what I studied lines up with them, so I'm, I know that I'm not off the wall, right? And I'm getting pretty close to what it says. And then, of course, you want to, uh, are the major and minor uh, problems unsolved or unresolved uh, and need to have more research? So sometimes when you're studying a passage of Scripture, like let's say you're studying it on the Sabbath, right, which is a complex subject, uh, and you want to say, well, you know, I don't know a whole lot about that. So you want to look up things about the Sabbath and what people are saying about them. Now, if I read one person, if I read a Seventh-day Adventist, they're going to say, what, the Sabbath is like, you, that's the day of worship, right? Well, then if I read somebody else who's not a Sabbatarian, they're going to say, no, Sunday's the day of worship, so what's the day of worship, right? And so those are the kind of things that there's going to be problems that you have to solve when you come to a particular topic and even when you come to a text. All right, so saying all that, let's look at the text this morning, all right? And uh, if you notice my little man up there, one thing he he's, says to us is that, um, listen, if you want to know the key to Bible study is to ask questions, right? To ask questions. That's the key to Bible study. And here are some of the questions uh, in the Bible study is uh, who is speaking? And then um, to whom is the passage written? All right, let, let, why don't we answer some of those questions? We can't answer all the questions, only some of them. But when it comes to Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33, first of all, let's, why don't we just read the passage? Uh, and it says in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All right? Now, is that enough to read? Is, is it enough to read that? Now, what, what, should you, what should you be reading? You should be reading the whole chapter, right? Now, hopefully you read from chapter 1 to chapter 6 and even beyond. It's really, really good to read through a whole book before you even start studying it. You know, and uh, now if a book is small enough, you can, you can read through it like I'm reading through the Colossians every single week, a couple times during the week. Uh, but I, it's very hard to do that through Matthew. So I have to take it in chunks, you know. And one way you can do that is it does have different chapter divisions or subject divisions. Okay, it's dealing with this subject, like the Matthew 20, 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, right? I can take those two chapters and really study them and then go back and forth in, in the whole book of Matthew uh, to see, okay, am I, you know, is it connected to the, the broader context or am I off the wall on something? All right, so Matthew 6.33, uh, let's ask, her, ask some questions, all right? The qu first question is, who's speaking? All right, Jesus is speaking, right, here in this particular passage of Scripture. And then to whom is the passage written? All right, the disciples. Um, any Christian who's going to read it, it's written to, right? Uh, but the original audience would have been, of course, the disciples are going to be the ones who are actually writing the material, but they were witnesses, right? 
So these witnesses are writing, so they give a layout of the life of Jesus, right? That's what they're doing in, in the Gospels. All right, another question is, that: um, what do you think the main idea is of this passage? Okay, faith in God. What's that? Okay, priority, putting God first. What else? God's provision. Structure, right? Instruction, right? Instruction, all right? Instruction in what? Okay, righteousness. Okay, now we have to ask the question, what's righteousness, right? So, see, just in a one passage like this, the questions naturally come up, right? Now, I don't want to put my own definition of righteousness in this, right? I don't want to do that. That's what I don't want to do. I want to find out what does righteousness mean in the Gospel of Matthew, and then what does righteousness mean throughout the rest of the Bible? All right, now you, you, know, you can see how vast the Bible study can be and, uh, and how long it may take for you to actually study past a, a group of passages in any particular book to get a sense yourself about what it says. All right, another question is, uh, what does the chapter teach concerning Christ? Does it teach anything in Matthew chapter 6 uh, concerning Christ? Now, we may, like I said, we may not be able to answer all these right now because we'd have to read and look at the whole text. That's not the purpose this morning. It is to give you a sense of some of the things that you and I are going to ask when we are actually reading the Bible. Now, in chapter 6, it, the first part of it is concerning uh, alms and prayers, right? The second part is concerning fasting. Uh, and then a, the third part would be the cure for anxiety, which is the part that from verse 25 to the end of the chapter is going to be something about not worrying about things. Now, we could even say, to, okay, when it comes to uh, what does it teach about Christ, now, it may not directly teach something about Christ in these chapters, but it is teaching us if Jesus is the king, what is it teaching us to do? To believe the king, seek the king, right? Trust the king, all right? Those are all kinds of things. So, yes, it is talking about Christ, but in an indirect way. Uh, and so another question could be, well, let me go back to that. Another question could be, um, is there an error for me to avoid? All right. All right. Does anybody have a problem with worry? How many in here never worried at all? If you had never worried, I want to talk to you after class because I want to know what your secret is. No, I think all of us. Even when we understand this passage, there's something that comes up which causes anxiety and worry, right? Of course, now I can go to Philippians, and what does Philippians tell me to do with anxiety? Cast my care, my anxiety on God. Why? Because he cares for me, right? And, and when I do that, God says he guards our heart and mind with his peace so we don't have to worry. And what does that mean? We trust him. 
and then we can go do what we're supposed to be doing without. Because you know one thing about worry? Worry cannot, in your mind, there's not a whole lot of things that can coexist in a normal way when you are worrying about something. Because worrying is like a loop tape. It goes around and around and around and around. And then you work yourself up into a frazzle, right? And then you're all tensed up. You can't think about anything else, right? You're, you're barking commands and things at other people, right? You're, you're irritable, right? And you know what? When you really think about it, you couldn't have done anything about it anyway, right? So that's stupid to worry like that, right? Instead, I give my care to the Lord because he knows who I am. He knows what I'm going through in this life, and he's provided everything for us not to live a worry-filled life, but to live a peaceful, joy-filled life, right? You can't have both, but we're always dealing with it. You know, as soon as I have a victory over worry, something else comes and slaps me in the head, right? And I'm now, oh, man, I'm back in square one. But I come back to the same principles and I use them again, right? And then what happens is that the more I do that, the more I, the, the, I worry less and the more I depend on Christ, right? That's what happens. And you know what? And the more peaceful you are at night when your head hits that pillow, bam, you're out and pretty soon because you're not worried about anything. But when you're worrying, can you go to sleep? No. You toss, you turn, you get up, you go to the bathroom, you read a book, you do that. Right, all that, and then also before you know it, instead of seven hours, you got four hours, and then you're no good for the rest of the day, right? And that's what a worry will do. And so, if we read the whole context, we find that worry is a stupid thing, right? But something we still realistically have to deal with. All right, another question could be there: um, Is there any duty for me to perform or a command to obey? All right, is there, is there any? Is that a command? Yes, it is. It's an imperative in the Greek, right? All right? It's an imperative. So I'm commanded by God. Now, remember, the commands that are given to Christians are not, you must do this or else. No. That's not the commands that are given to Christians. It's, this is the command God gives you. Do it in a way that pleases the Lord and honors the Lord, and you'll reap the benefits. Right? God doesn't want people who has, he has to twist their arm to do things, all right? No, he wants people that are willing to do it. And that's what happens when the Spirit of God is leading us. He's leading us to the place to, I really want to do this. You know, I really want to study the Word of God. I really want to do these things. It doesn't mean there's not going to be obstacles and things aren't going to be hard, but you're able to do it because the Lord is doing that in our life, all right? All right, so there is a command to obey. Seek, right, first the kingdom. All right, and then uh, is there a sin to confess? What would be the sin to confess there? Now, we, we already kind of already talked about that. Would be would be the sin? Worry, Worry right? Worry, not trusting God, worrying, right? And, um, and then, of course, now, the, one of the things could happen is that when I first looked at a passage of Scripture like this, when I was just a branch man, I didn't even think worry was a sin. I would think, how could worry be a sin? You know, and then I found out, no, worry is a sin. And in fact, it's a debilitating sin. It's an enslaving sin. Right. Why do I want to why do I want to live like that? I don't want to live like that. I want to live in the power of the spirit of God where I'm seeking God first 
right? And I'm seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. And in doing that, I'm gaining the ability to trust God in every situation that happens in my life, especially those who are going that is going to bring a good level of anxiety. I'm going to be able to deal with it because I'm going to be able to think more clearly about what is happening uh, in my life. All right, so uh, last one would, would be there, is there a promise uh, for me to claim? Is there a promise for me to complain, uh, to claim here? What is it? All right, now, when you brought that up, the question is going to be, what things? Right? What things are going to be added to me? Now, what are they? All right, so in the passage, what are those things? All right, it's going to be what everybody else worries about. And what do they worry about in the passage? All right, look at verse number 25. It says, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Now, this is kind of a rebuke here, that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more than they? Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Verse 28, it says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lily Lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God is so, so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do, do so for you? Now, oh, you of little faith, right? So there, there's, in the context, it's, Worrying about what am I going to wear? Am I going to have enough food, uh, clothing to keep warmer? To you know, am I going to have enough food to eat? You know, am I going to have a place to live? The Lord is saying there, when you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, I will make sure you have those things, right? I will. Why? Look outside and see the birds. You ever see the birds worried or arguing? I hear the birds singing all the time, right? And, and what are they doing? They're singing, they're working, they're, they're finding seeds, they're feeding their young, they're doing everything, and why? God's feeding them, right? And he's providing for them. And if you look at the flowers, the lilies of the valley, how adorned they are, how beautiful they are, the, the complexity of it, who did that? God did that. If God can do that, don't you think he can adorn your life with beautiful things? All right, see, do you see how this, a Bible study like this can actually can completely change how you think. It will completely change how you think, how you, how you deal with life, right? And um, you know how many people are in counseling because of anxiety and taking drugs because of anxiety? A drug will never solve your heart problem, ever. You must deal with what's way down deep in your heart. That's where the problem is, right? A drug can get you through maybe a short period of time. It could be a Band-Aid uh, on, a, uh, on a wound, but if you don't take care of the heart problem, it's just going to fester and get worse. 
and get infected, and you'll have no victory at all in it. But here, we're going to have a victory over our anxiety. We're going to trust God for the very, is, is clothing and shelter the simple things of life? Yeah, it's just the everyday things of life. You know, how am I going to pay my bills, right? Now, of course, this is also, um, you have the ability to pay, uh, pay your bills, right? And that you're not using money unwisely. Some of the things is you, you may have to say, you know what, I have to change things because I can't fulfill this passage of scripture because I'm, I'm not frugal with money. I'm not uh, wise with money. I'm spending th uh, money on things I don't even need, right? So, but it, apart from all that, it's, te it's teaching us the very basics of um, what a Christian does who now is a child of the king of kings and how he that person responds to the king Jesus, right? In a way that I can, I can step back and I can live my life trusting God, restful, peaceful, uh, knowing that he promised he would take care of me. But what is my job? My job is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Now i got to find out what does it mean by the kingdom of God? What does it say in your book about what it means by the kingdom of God? All right, isn't that one of the questions? Yeah, what does the word kingdom mean? What's the answer? Well, the answer is it is a sovereign rule or dominion over a specific realm or region, all right? So in other words, who's the king of the kingdom? Jesus is the king of the kingdom, right? So if I am to seek first his righteousness, right, and of course maybe that the Sermon on the Mount really does express what that righteousness is. So I'll have to go beyond Matthew chapter 6 to fill in what he means by righteousness. All right? And, of course, Matthew chapter 7 is going to be a very key verse. Uh, and then going to the Sermon on the Mount and all those kind of things that help me understand what this righteousness is all about. But the basic, uh, the basic meaning of righteousness would be to live right and honorable before God as the king would want me to, right? So that would be a very basic definition. And, of course, the Bible will fill in more of what that actually means. All right, so um, moving on, that's what we just looked at. If you want to diagram it, if you're good at diagramming, which I like to do when I'm studying the Bible, is that, for example, if you see, this is a diagram, Matthew 6.33, the word but in the Greek, and then, of course, if you see seek is an imperative, which is going to be a command. Under seek is first, uh, and then, of course, you see that that branches out. What am I to seek? I'm to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all right? And then... Uh, and, it's, and then it says, here's the promise, in a the sense, these thing, then the, all these things will be added to you. All right? And, of course, the last word is a verb will be a, a future passive. That if I do these things, there's a promise that is going to come to me if I put those into practice, and, the, and that's going to come in a future way. All right? So that would be a diagram of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Now, you don't have to do that. Some people do block diagramming. Uh, some people just uh, don't have to do that because they're really good at English structure. I'm not 
good at that kind of stuff. I kind of like butchered the King's English. Uh, but anyway, it is helpful for me to see the structure. That, that, Like I said before, you're building something, and now you see it. I see how it's all the sentence is all built, you know? So that helps me to do that. All right, and then, um, so here are the process. The Bible study process is affirmation, preparation, observation, interpretation, and, of course, application. So how would we specifically apply this passage of Scripture? Now, we, we've been talking about an application the whole way, right? So how would we, how would our other, other, other things that maybe we didn't mention that we could apply this passage of Scripture? Unless we exhausted the application. <laughs> I think we, we talked a lot about application. All right, so, we, so all these things, we're, we're saying that we can actually apply this, this passage to our life, right? And we're only dealing with one passage, looked at the whole context, asked some questions. Uh, what do these words mean? You know, what's the theme of the book? And then you can get a sense of what it's being taught here, right? And that's what you want to do. And you do want to start doing Bible study. You really do. Because it's going to be something that's going to help you more than anything else is uh, doing Bible study. All right, let me just see if we, we have a few more minutes. Let's, let's look at something else. Um, let's uh, just consider this passage of Scripture, Philippians. And the reason why I kind of brought this up is because when I ended last time in a Christian should be memorizing and meditating on the Word of God. You'll find right here in Philippians, if you notice uh, what it says there, it says, Rejoice the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Here's that word again. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? So, in other, in other words, Philippians is actually backing up and connected to Matthew chapter 6, right? Verse 33. It's helping us. It's informing us. It's giving, more, giving us even more information. And that's what the, the epistles will do. The epistles will give us more information about other things in the Bible. All right, but I want you to notice where it says finally, and what's that word? What's finally mean? All right, that means coming to the end of what he was saying throughout the book of Philippians. And he is saying this, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, what are we supposed to do? Dwell on these things. Now, what, what is dwell on these things? Meditate. All right? So, in other words, if we go back up to the word anxiety, what's going to be the cure for my anxiety? Of how I think. And what, I'm, what am I thinking about, right? 
Because I tell you what, if you're thinking about, oh, man, I don't know uh, where I'm going to get the, the next you know, dollar to pay for this or that. Or I don't know if my car is going to last another month. Or I'm, I don't know if we're going to be able to stay in this house, right? If, we're, if you're always thinking about those things, forget it. You're going to be in bondage. But now the Bible says, wait a minute, here's a way to think. Here's a way to defeat the anxiety. And how do you do that? Well, first of all, he says, what's, what's ever honorable. That means whatever is serious, whatever is respectful, what, what is, whatever is dignified and reverent. It's not cheap, mindless stupidity that I'm thinking about. It's serious things. And then whatever is right. That means whatever is scripturally right to do in compliance to duty to God and to man. So believers are really not to spend time thinking about sinful or dubious activities or worrisome activities. Also, a Christian must think about whatever is pure. All right, that means what is morally and morally pure and ethically correct, meaning that the people of God are not to have soiled and shabby and smutty thoughts. So these are things that we are, these are the things that we are thinking about. These are the things that we should not be thinking about. So, so you have to ask yourself, what am I thinking about? What's going through my mind today? What are the largest times during the day when I'm thinking about one particular thing? Or So if it's going to be things that are not pure, then it's not going to help you to overcome the things that um, will cause anxious thoughts and not to trust God. And then the Christians are to think on whatever is lovely. That means believers are uh, to assume a mindset of kindness and forgiveness and, a, and of God-like love. That's what Christians are to do. And so we go through the whole passage of Scripture, and then we come to the last one. Let your mind dwell on these things. So here is the redeemed mind, the mind that is now bent towards God's will, right? That's, that's the mind we have as a believer now. Now, what is that? We're, we're continually going to be transformed and bent towards desiring, dwelling on, and discovering God's will. And then when we do that, the Christian is going to be able to stand up against the temptation of sin, and also to stand up against the devil. I'll end with this quote from a man named James Usher. He said this, set apart some time for meditation. The word may be engrafted in your heart. If the meat that you eat is not digested, it will be no good. You see the necessity of labor to retain the word of God, to digest it, to make it your own, that you may be transformed by it. And as a person is turned in their mind, these will turn into nourishment. So the word of God being digested will actually nourish you. So that's an old quote uh, from an old Puritan. And so thinking about that, we realize, hey, this is something that um, is going to be beneficial for me, but I got to chew on it. I got to swallow it, 
I got to get it to the stomach, my mind, and I got to think about it. And when I do, I can reap the benefits that the Word of God often promises us and gives us on how to live a successful, stable Christian life, which is filled with thanksgiving and overflowing with joy towards God, right? There's not, and then you, know why, then you look at the birds, and as they're singing, you'll sing along with them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these simple truths, Lord. Make us people that really get into the word of God and take it seriously. Treat your word as coming from you, the king speaking to his subjects, we being your subjects. So, Lord, we can listen and we can study and we can make observation and interpretation and application of your word in our daily life so we can benefit from what's there. Lord, don't allow us to spill it before we get to the parking lot. Lord, help us to retain it. And then all during the week, think about it until it transforms us, our, our mind, so we would not only desire, but know the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. Up next time, right? On the character of God.